Tourism in Europe is 2.4 million businesses, 10% of our GDP, but also 95% fall of operations for many of them. Why were some of the tourism businesses capable to repurpose themselves and bring about innovative, funny, socially and environmentally sustainable solutions that are also safe for their clients in order to survive through this crisis and find themselves on the rise with new kinds of products? Listen to this first out of a series of episodes dedicated to tourism in post-COVID world with Nick Hall, founder of a digital tourism think tank, where we're going into the mindset and strategies that made it possible for some of the companies to succeed. And in the subsequent episodes, we will go into his personal story of a digital tourism entrepreneur and the opportunities offered by digital technologies. Hi, Nick. Thanks a lot for accepting the invitation to be on our show, especially in this crazy time when you are also working 24-7 and trying to help the industry surf through this crazy period. So thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Lucia. And it's a great pleasure to, to join you and to be on the show. And uh, I've listened to some of your past episodes and they're, they're really inspiring. So I'm very much uh, honored to be part of this. Thank you. Thank you. So let's dive deep right into what's the feeling among the tourism, small and medium enterprises, all these little family businesses who are trying to somehow manage the crisis for a couple of months. We are now in the middle of what would normally be the highest peak season for all of them, while half of the planet is somehow recovering. Some of the countries are still paralyzed by the crisis. So what is your uh, reading of, of the mood now in the sector? How much of a panic is it? still out there or are we kind of getting used to what's the situation yeah it's a a good and a difficult question to answer because um when the crisis first hit um i think people didn't estimate that it would be to the scale it has been and even now i think people are not quite sure of how big this crisis will really be um so i'd say the mood is sort of twofold um there is now gradually a small sense of optimism because things are starting to open up, but it's a very, very slow and gradual process. And so far, very few uh, tourism destinations and therefore the businesses within them can really take advantage of any sense of international travel. So the focus has really been on domestic travelers and nearby markets. But the, the number real... has been really scary. Some people say that it's between 60 and 90 percent of cuts in international travel. So it's almost. Yeah, I mean, you know, in some cases it's 95 to 100 percent. So, I mean, their businesses are completely obliterated um, by this and very few businesses have the reserves to be able to sustain uh, any long period of, of low income or no income. And I think what we're seeing is that the biggest challenge for businesses has always been seasonality. Uh, a lot of businesses are summer or summer and winter businesses, and then they have low periods in between, at which they already make a loss during those low periods, but then they make up for that with a, a profitable and a strong summer. And so the feeling amongst businesses now is to try and save the summer, basically, to try and get as much business as possible um, in a shorter summer period and a smaller um, demand during the summer as they possibly can. And I think what we're seeing is that businesses are just 100% focused on trying to open up and trying to get as much business in this uh, very immediate moment where things are just starting to open up. Um, and it's a very, very uncertain situation. And if you look at um, different parts of the tourism industry, um, you know, it really varies. So for small and medium-sized enterprises, the focus is just trying to get as much local business as possible and as much um, locals and 
and domestic travelers visiting, experiencing and spending. And so they're having to change their whole product and shift what they offer. But for those uh, international businesses, airlines, for example, um, it, you know, it's also a very kind of uncertain time and they've been able to take advantage of government schemes uh, to some extent during this period. But now as those schemes start to come to an end, they're starting to, to lay off, to cut back, to sell assets. And that's really scary. And I think it also points to the, the expected long-term damage that this is going to cause, that no matter what government support is available right now, that they won't be able to sustain a business um, you know, into the next year uh, because there will be a contraction of the economy and that there is absolutely no doubt that there will be a huge slump in demand for travel no matter what is done at this point. This is the most scary part because most of the people think that we've seen the biggest uh, fall of the economic activity and that it has already shown in the numbers, but it feels like the, the embedded resilience of so many businesses has been such that they've been trying to resist uh, these cuts and the layoffs, as you've been saying, and we might only be seeing it now, which is the scariest part, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's the, the right assessment. I think there's a feeling that we've had the worst, but there's a, there's a reality uh, which I think is going to bite around September when the summer season is over. Perhaps they haven't made as much as they hope to. Perhaps they have, uh, but most businesses have lost a lot of cash reserves uh, and they just can't sustain um, a, a low demand. A lot of businesses are built on quite large volume, quite high demand, so they just can't adapt very easily, especially where they have... Uh, leases such as aircraft and things like that, you know, it, these are liabilities which are just very, very difficult. And so from the European business perspective, obviously the big companies are always uh, better equipped to deal with this kind of crisis. And so I've been trying to put myself in the mindset of all these really family businesses. There's millions of them in Europe out there where I would wonder, obviously the chaos and the paralysis at the beginning would have been a natural reaction for them because nobody has ever seen anything like this. And I wonder with all the talk about resilience and innovation and creativity being as an opportunity to come out of this kind of crisis is it realistic to expect that these kind of small businesses would come up with this capability to repurpose and create new products as you're saying and shift to new target groups because we're always talking about really couples running their bnb or like really small teams where we wouldn't and that's why uh, you're so active in the education of tourism businesses uh, sector where they wouldn't really have the strategic uh, knowledge to figure out how to go about this. Yeah, it's a really good question because I think without a doubt, the, the only way out of this as a business is to have, um, to have the, those creative, uh, those adaptability and agile skills to be able to change and adapt and, and shift the business, shift the business model, focus on new markets and focus on a new offering. Um, but the nature of tourism, as you said, is, is that it's a lot of small family businesses, micro entities, one or two person businesses. And quite often those businesses are lifestyle businesses. They're, they're built on a passion and they're built on a, a desire to have that quality of life balance, to, to kind of live and work in the field that you really love. And so for those businesses, they don't necessarily want to adapt their business. They don't necessarily want to identify a new business model because that's not why they went into what they do. And uh, we've been discussing this quite a lot with destinations and trying to understand the problem and how to overcome the problem. And that's been one of the first things we've identified is that you've kind of got two groups of small businesses. You've got entrepreneurs and those 
who really want to grow, they want to build a really successful business. And you've got those who want to have a successful income because uh, that supports the lifestyle which they really love. And, and you know, that's just as acceptable. Uh, and I think that second group is going to be in the most challenging situation because they depend on that consistency of demand. Um, and they're not necessarily going to want to work 24-7 to completely change and invent a new business model that isn't in their passion. And this is fascinating because that's where the business literacy and, and like really seeing it as a business is almost opposed to the people who are trying to bring the passion into, into um, what they're doing and how they've transformed their life in order, sometimes leaving the corporate careers in order to launch this business. And so it's almost borderline overlapping with their individual transformation with, as we are seeing the world around us shifting, they're rejecting the transformation and they have to do their own shift in their own mindset about how they would like to see their life going in order to be able to shift that business, if it makes any sense, which is making it even more complicated because you've invested so much heart into building it and you yeah. want to think to yourself that this is just a temporary wave which will pass and you will then continue building your yoga business or whatever it was in the same yeah, way. Exactly. I think for a lot of them, they feel that this is something that's, I mean, and, and rightly, this is something that's completely out of their hands. It's out of their control. So a lot of businesses that I've spoken to are sort of just waiting. They're waiting on government advice. They're waiting on government regulation. They're, and they're hoping, they're hoping that things will return and that there will be enough business to meet their, their core costs. Um, you know, and I think the, the other thing to consider is that there, there are a lot of redundancies that have already happened and there are a lot more that will be coming. And this naturally puts a lot of pressure on that, you know, on those who remain in business because, you know, at that point people think, well, what do I want to do with my life? Do I want to uh, become a freelance, um, you know, in one field or another? Or do I want to, you know, do that business I always dreamed of, which is based on this lifestyle that I really love? So it also means, you know, a lot of pressure there, but with um, far less consumers that are ready to spend the money. So those creative, um, those digital skill sets are, are really, really important now in order to um, grasp and uh, target and engage that smaller market uh, with a more purposeful offer. Um, you know, there, there is still a market, but the competition for that is even higher than it's ever been. And yeah. the need to have the right skill set to approach that is going to be even more uh, demanding in order to be successful. And so when we look at the demand side and the consumer behavior, we've been seeing a lot of almost societal pro bono projects where people are trying to be of service to the companies that they are normally serving them, as in go and pay for two coffees instead of one, turning happy hours into helping hours. Us as consumers who are blessed enough to be able to afford it, many people feel the responsibility to help the companies uh, and survive through this crisis. And so I've been wondering, who do you feel among the customer base will be leading the recovery? Because especially with the traveling turning much more local this year, do you think it's going to be the, you know, the more risk covers millennials who are not so worried about the health risks or who is going to be the segment that you would be looking at 
as the low-hanging fruits out there, the ones who are most likely to resonate with the problem that you've got as a, as a business provider and, and also curious enough to restart uh, their previous lifestyle as soon as possible. Yeah, I think you know, in, uh, in business, it's really hard not to look at your own problem and not to focus on your own problem. Uh, and the, the mistake of doing that is you don't necessarily focus on your customer's problem or your users. And I think this is something that is really, it's a really important message for businesses, no matter how hard their own situation is, to actually look at what the needs of their customers are and how they've changed and try to respond to those because the business will follow that. Um, and I think what we see right now is um, some, a, a kind of picture that's quite hard to form because we've always looked at demographics, we've always looked at markets, but right now there's a lot of talk about so-called travel bubbles, um, families and groups of friends who have been separated by the lockdown, um, who now get to spend time with each other, get to see each other. And these, you know, for many, these moments are really precious. And so as a tourism business, um, that, that's just one example of uh, maybe it's the opportunity is not the word to use, but of, of an area where demand is being created to bring those people together and to create something more meaningful. And that might not necessarily be taking them on a tour where you explain the history of all the different sites that they're going to see. It might be just allowing them to be together and creating a space where they can spend that really special time together. So just as you were saying about you know, shifting the helping hours and things like this, I think also understanding what people want right now and that kind of desire for consumption and to experience new things might have shifted um, as there's been a complete kind of societal, psychological shift um, through this. And a you know, huge appreciation for community, a huge desire to do something um, with, that's got values and a sense of doing something positive uh, built in um, and uh, you know the, the, the kind of huge interest in buying local and supporting local businesses is actually a strength for, for SMEs um, you know think about the supply chain think about how you can show how uh, spending you know 10 euros in your business will then impact different people along that supply chain, for example, show, show the human side of that. And I think this kind of aspect of humanity has been the most powerful thing coming out of this crisis. Yeah, interesting. It's also one of the questions that I want to address with you in the next uh, episode out of this series, when we'll go deeper into the humanization versus digitization of, of the tourism experience. But now looking at one more immediate impact of the, of the COVID crisis, I was wondering, what do you uh, see as the immediate trend that we will see in the technological domain? Obviously, there's a lot of talk about the tracing apps, but um, and the digital identities and obviously how uh, the big brother will turn into even bigger monster that some of us felt it was in the past. Where do you see the future in terms of our, the users, the travelers demand for safety and technological solutions being able to provide it? Because we've been used to digital whenever it comes to booking and management of the preparation of the travel experience, but not so much during the consumption of the travel experience. So how is it going to look next time we go to the cathedral, which will have some kind of uh, distancing measures in there and, and the biometrics being collected and the normally crowded sightseeing places is it an end of crowded sightseeing era i think we have we have seen an end to crowded sightseeing and overcrowding um for for quite some time to come and potentially for forever if destinations see 
some of the things that weren't working um, in the last period as uh, things that they really want to address right now. There's been a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of dissatisfaction in the tourism industry about overcrowding, the imbalance between resident populations and visitor populations, particularly cities like Barcelona um, and Amsterdam. But also even in uh, nature and rural places, you get these hot spots where the environment is completely destroyed because there's too many visitors. So when we're, we're, right now we're in the situation where we're managing experiences, we're managing places, we're trying to uh, manage the visitor flow. And it, it, you know, it is a really big opportunity to, to try and address some of these things that didn't really work before. And technology can play a really key role in that. The best use of technology is always in um, applying it to respond to a specific need, um, to improve a specific process or to make, um, to give something that actually um, supports someone's needs. And I think um, right now we're going to see technology change quite, quite a lot actually. Um, technology has been focused so much over the last 10 to 15 years on improving our personal lives um, giving us these great things that we have in our pockets, which, um, we, you know, which are just incredible. Um, and uh, also creating operational efficiencies, maximizing profits, using data to, to do that in every way possible from, from how we target to how we interpret to how we organize data. But I think what we're going to see next is technology take a, a really huge shift uh, to, into a different area, which will be government, and healthcare solutions, um, you know, which could see another transformation, a kind of technological healthcare transformation, which has been on the cards for some time. There's been a gradual shift towards, you know, even in our daily lives, we kind of use technology to try and make us monitor our health in every way possible. But I think we're going to see a huge step towards this now because the reality is that that's where the, the money is. That's where the funds are. And for those, uh, you know, big four technology companies, for them to be able to keep their investments and, and keep their profits uh, up, they're going to need to look at where the demand is, which will be in, you know, dramatically um, improving people's lives from a health perspective. Excellent. So in the next episode, we will go deeper into the whole AI and technological domain. So everybody subscribe to the channel so that you're notified about the upcoming episode next week. And the last one that I was wondering to ask you about as a teaser, do you have an example of your favorite success story that you've seen in the past uh, couple of months of a company being able to serve this wave and, and repurpose in some ways in order uh, to use the crisis as an opportunity to give us a bit uh, more of a feel for concrete examples of what's happening out there. Yeah, I think um, we've seen we've seen businesses shift um, across the board. So some of the bigger businesses like Airbnb, I think, show what can be done. Um, and whilst they, you know, companies like that can sometimes be contentious, um, we've seen so that they they repurpose. What is it that they have started doing differently? Well, yeah, what they've done is shifted their, their real experiences into virtual experiences in a really large-scale way. Um, and this has been something which I think we can really see what they've done and everybody can learn from that. And it's, um, they've also um, incorporated this very strong message about giving back to key workers and also recognizing key workers as a priority in their business. So this, from a both a product and also 
a, um, a message point of view. I think they've, they've done something which we can, you know, every business can learn from. Uh, what we've seen in, uh, in London, for example, um, is crowdfunding initiatives. Um, there's one called Pay It Forward, where businesses uh, list their products, uh, even though people can't experience them. And uh, they crowdfund, um, they crowdfund uh, purchases of those products. And we've seen them, um, you know, some businesses really raising, uh, you know, significant sums of money, such as a coffee shop raising £30,000. I'm not sure they would have generated that kind of income. Is that um, the payment of future consumption or it's really crowdfunding for their survival? It's actually using a crowdfunding platform to prepay future um, yeah. coffee and, and very ordinary so things. cash flow solutions. Exactly. So it's really is a cash flow solution. And um, they, you know, they've also created hybrid products where you buy a coffee and you get a Zoom barista course. Um, so this is the kind of creativity that I think is great. We've also seen, you know, in Sweden, um, uh, one of the Michelin star uh, chefs created a table for one um, and it's an outdoor um, eat on your own in the middle of nature concept where they send your food down the zip line and you have a completely contact free um, dining experience and then you pay whatever you feel it's worth. Um, so maybe that's a new business model, maybe not, but it shows a kind of shift in terms of, okay, we have less customers, but maybe we have a few that are willing to pay more. So could we create, you know, a, a service, you know, or a solution which is really right for them? And uh, I think, you know, also in, in places like Antwerp, um, the businesses have uh, scaled down what they've done and they've said, we're going to focus, you know, we're a top restaurant and we're used to this kind of international clientele, this business clientele, but it doesn't exist. So we have to accept that as a reality. We have to change our menu. We have to change our price. And we have to change our offer. And so there's been a, quite a significant shift by a lot of the restaurants there, just as one example, and I think it's happening everywhere to have a kind of signature menu with, you know, four to five items, much more manageable for a lower team, um, a smaller team rather. And, um, you know, to still be able to try and find a way to deliver that uh, profitably, uh, considering the, the new market that they have. So I think these are the kind of examples that we will start to see everywhere. And so to close the circle, coming back to my initial question about is it realistic to expect the family business to not be paralyzed by the chaos and repurpose into something else? If you look at these examples, what are the skills or preconditions or mindset which make it possible? Because some of it, what you're saying, it's not capital demanding. It really requires a lot of creativity and courage to experiment with new uh, way of delivering your service. So is it really a mindset um, kind of yeah mindset question yeah. which basically distinguishes determines whether a company was gonna was able to float through this with more innovation it's a mindset from the position that they have to want to make that change and they have to be open enough to how that change might take place and open to the idea that everything might change um, and the other thing they have to be ready to do is to fail and to experiment, or perhaps I should say experiment and then fail, because the I, you know working with different ideas will lead to failure, but it will also lead to, to lessons that you can learn from. And once you start to understand what is working and what is not working by trying different ideas, you can start to you know stop doing the things that aren't working or see what is what it is what is it about those that means they're not working and focus on 
the ideas that are working. I think the other thing is to, to test and to test very openly. So first of all, speaking with customers uh, and customers who are coming and customers who are not coming, understand why they're spending, just ask them. You know, we, we don't need so much data actually. We can just ask you know, what drove you, what motivated you to come in here? Uh, what motivated you to book with us? You know, if that's only a small handful, but also ask the people who maybe you've seen every year, why are you not coming? What's your concerns? What's your fears? Is it the offer? Um, is it a price? Um, is it not the right thing for you right now? And you know, if that's if the answer is yeah, it's it's not right. I, I don't you know I don't feel maybe they don't feel confident about their own finances. What would work for you? And what could we do for you? And I think these are just very um, ordinary skills, and um, these can get us a, a very long way right now. Um, so I'm you know I'm, I'm very passionate about digital, and it's it's what I've always done. But I think we need to just kind of go back to some basics and. Um, be humble enough to accept some failings um, sometimes, and take be you know be be willing to take risks and um, accept that they might not work. And then you know that's that's what all you can do right now. Beautiful. I think it's a great uh, start for our next conversation, which we will release next week. And then afterwards, we will also go into your personal story of an entrepreneur in digital tourism business, where you will also have a chance to share your failures and learnings with us. So thanks Great. a lot for this conversation Looking and we'll be back next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For follow-up, you can find us on all major podcast platforms and all social media platforms, including our Instagram, Lights on Europe. So feel free to go there now and leave us your review, likes, feedback, as well as tips on who would you like to hear interviewed next time. Bye!